0: As we build our leadership capability, there are a number of transitions we need to manage quite intentionally. One of those is when we move from being a technical expert, whether an engineer, consultant, accountant or lawyer, into a leadership role. Understanding what we need to take with us, what we need to leave behind and what new expertise we need to learn is very important. And we're talking today to someone who is both a technical expert in that very issue and a living example looking at how we move from being a technical expert to a leader. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice. An opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. Well, it's my pleasure to have Dr. Belinda Board with me this morning at Black's Club in Soho. No one more qualified to talk about the topic of moving from technical expert to leader, which we know can be a challenging transition. Belinda has not only walked that road, but her technical expertise is also in that very field. Belinda is a chartered clinical psychologist and has postgraduate degrees in organisational and forensic psychology and a PhD in leadership behaviours and workplace well-being. A world-renowned business psychologist and coach practitioner, she's extensively published, a visiting lecturer at University of Hertfordshire, and her global research collaborations include the likes of Birkbeck and Bond Universities. She is also the founder and chief executive of PeopleWise, one of the world's leading business psychology consultancies. Welcome, Belinda. Good morning. Good morning. Take us through, Belinda, your career headlines and what stage gates you might have moved through to step into your leadership identity from technical expert to chief executive? Sure,
1: so um, as you um, very elegantly put, I started my career as a behavioral scientist um, working and and, and researching in the the clinical psychology space and I became increasingly interested in the intersection between mental health and unhelpful mindsets but in the Mm. corporate world. and so that was really the first stage gate for me, being introduced to, a, to a, a different world, to the, if you like, the medical world. And after more studies that you um, described in, in forensics and in organizational psychology, that really enabled me to get a seat at the table, so to speak, in, in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. But I was still very much operating in that technical space. It was my technical expertise that I was uh, really using and drawing on to work with individuals and and organizations and i guess the next stage gate was really and it was my aha moment it was when i um, established peoplewise as a business and i and i really understood through that the difference between managing and being a manager of technical excellence mm-hmm. in myself and others and becoming a leader of a business it was
0: a very different experience, and it is a very different experience. Interesting. So, what were the components of, you know, you said you had that aha moment. What were the components of what you were doing on a daily basis or who you had to be on a daily basis that were different from being a technical expert to a leader?
1: For me, the overwhelming essence of the aha moment was understanding that in order to transition from being a technical expert. And manager to being a leader was letting go. Mm. Without a doubt that was the, the the single most important thing and understanding with that, that others have the capabilities, the capacity to, to do the job. So let them get on with it. Um, and also one of my best friends became the Pareto principle, the, the 80-20. Um, and it really became my mantra. Um, and for a while there, it was really terrifying to let go because mm-hmm. I would hear myself thinking, what if, what if somebody didn't get it absolutely right? Mm-hmm. What if the standard wasn't to a level that was the bar that I had set for myself? Mm-hmm. What if um, a client wasn't 100% satisfied? And the aha was when I realised that one day I said to myself, what if... But I answered it differently. I answered it, what if, in letting go, my team could flourish? Mm -hmm. What if they actually not only experienced personal growth, but they started to deliver amazing value to our clients? And so there was a real shift in my mindset. Mm -hmm. And actually, one of the things that allowed me to do was see a very different picture. When you have a mindset that's around that technical manager, you tend to one of the, the the drawbacks is you're stuck in the weeds. Right. You'll get too much into the detail, um, a, amongst other things that we can touch on later if that's relevant. But what that AHA moment enabled me to do was to think about those strategic alternative realities, and and that was really interesting because what they, that then became our what is now called our star model. Yes. Um, helping people really understand what are those strategic alternative realities and
0: that kind of stays with me, resonates. Oh, yeah, that's fascinating. The um, So what really worked for you was being able to let go, the 80-20. Did you find that in terms of stepping into your leadership capability, you actually started to learn, need to learn different expertise?
1: Without a doubt. If I can sort of set the behaviours aside for a moment, which you'd probably expect, being a psychologist, <laughs> if, I, if I can stay on the in, inside of the person, because that's really where it's all at for yes. me, There were definitely three things, uh, and there remained three things, that worked and worked for me. And and I call them the mindset, the mantras, and the mindfulness. Yeah. And if I may just elaborate on those, the mindset gave me the ability to change. And again, as I made this journey from technical manager to leader, I recognized that as an individual, every day I have a choice. In every moment of every day, I have choice. And that's a very powerful state. Yes. When you understand that and you truly, at a visceral level, Mm -hmm. appreciate that, that's really quite enabling. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are consequences. In whatever decisions you take at each pathway, there are consequences.
0: But. And that's your mindset piece. So you're saying you have a choice about how to approach everything basically yes. and you are in control of that
1: and a- absolutely and for me it's that old fortune favors the bold mm-hmm. the brave and so I have chosen a mindset of growth and opportunity mm-hmm. and that that's very much around the mindset the um, and tell me about mantras. yes yeah, so the mantras so a bit like before when I was saying um, Pareto it's the 80 20 and I and I still use that to this day Um, And it's not always right because sometimes 100% is right. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have uh, mantras like weeds, which is one of my favorite ones, (laughs) it's very helpful because sometimes I will catch myself thinking, investing energy and time and thinking about projects and I will ask myself with my mantra weeds, is this the best use of my energy? Mm -hmm. Is this where I should be investing my time? Am I choosing to, in that moment, be all that I can be? Mm-hmm. And 90% of the time, the answer is uh, no.
0: If, I'm, if I am stuck in the weeds, I shouldn't be. So you're saying that, that that mantra enables you, if your default is to go to the comfort of what I really know, perhaps, and you know, get into the weeds, yeah. weeds is your mantra to just say, okay, just double check here. Am I really doing what creates the most value for me and my team? Absolutely, and it serves as a trigger to redirect mm-hmm. my efforts and my energy.
1: And then, of course, my third is is mindfulness. Now, mm. mindfulness has become very popular in the yes. last um, few years. Um, but I guess, as a, so, as a personal comment, I've been practicing mindfulness for um, about twenty years since, again, being in that yeah. clinical space, and. If I could strip away everything that mindfulness gives me, because it gives me an enormous amount, it gives me two key qualities, which I think are critical for female leaders. All leaders, but female leaders I'm, I'm yeah. really singling out. And that is calm and presence. Yes. And there's some really interesting research that's been um, done around female versus male communication mm-hmm. and the importance of presence and we know presence leadership presence is is very important because it gives you credibility it enables you to appear authoritative yeah,
0: and be able to influence and, absolutely
1: yeah. and what the latest research is showing is that um, counter to um, other research actually women when they are present mm-hmm. are given equal airtime mm-hmm. they are actually having the same impact as men however they have to be seen to be present, mm-hmm. they have to be holding themselves in that space, being fully attentive and in that moment. Yes. And so that's great news. Um, I think that research yeah. li- opens up many opportunities. So, what does presence look like for you? It's a great question, Penny. For me, presence is about owning the space, mm-hmm. it is about being in tune with yourself mm-hmm. and truly attending to your audience which means using empathy, Mm -hmm. which we know is a skill that is incredibly important for leaders, increasingly so. And so using empathy to truly attend to your audience so that and to such a degree that your neural pathways begin to mirror your audience. Mm. That is when you know you are fully in flow with your audience, that you, I don't know if you've had the experience, Penny, where you catch yourself... Mimicking something yes. that somebody else has done. Yep. They scratch their nose, you scratch mm-hmm. your nose. Mm-hmm. That's where your neural pathways are mirroring back your audience, which mm-hmm. is, a, is a sign that you are truly in Engaged. tune. Yeah. And that's presence. Yeah. And that presence gives us credibility. Mm-hmm. It gives us a sense of authority. That's how we're seen. Mm-hmm. And it entices people to listen to you. Now, I think what's really interesting here, so that's been my, you know, that's yes. something that I, that is a very personal journey for me, to make sure that I'm always attending. Uh-huh. And, the, and the great thing about attending is that it's universal. So, whilst across the globe, nonverbal or body language, nonverbal communication yeah. at a nuanced level can mean different things cross culturally, at a human level, typically when we communicate and attend at that non-verbal level Mm -hmm. we are communicating Mm cross-culturally. So you don't have to be a cross-cultural expert to get that attention and have that presence because it's your non-verbal communication, it's your body language that's doing that. So you remain able to make that impact. And that connection. Mm -hmm. I think the other really interesting thing is if you think about women and some of the research that we've been doing in this space for again over 10 years One of the things of interest is, when you ask women what are they best at, Mm -hmm. one of the things they typically say is building relationships. Relationships. Yes. So we know that, and we know that relationships, building relationships, which is typically done through the use of empathy, again, as I said, is an increasingly um, valued capability in Mm -hmm. the workplace. So that kind of raises the question for me. When I look out in the workplace, Why aren't women leapfrogging Mm -hmm. and pursuing these higher levels of leadership when they have a natural advantage? that they have. I'm not. I'm not going to say necessarily natural, (laughs) but but they. But they perceive themselves as having strong. Absolutely. Mm. And women, we know, do tend to talk more. Mm -hmm. We know that they tend to be more open and express. explore their feelings, mm-hmm. whereas men tend to talk more about events and objects. Yes. So what's going on there? Mm. Why is it that women aren't having this stratospheric rise when we know they have buckets of empathy? Yeah. What's going on and there? And how
0: influential and impactful yeah. empathy can be.
1: And and that's where I think if we if we look into the world of women and leadership, I think we see that it's not just a simple, wouldn't it be great if it was just empathy? Mm-hmm. I'm afraid
0: the mix is far more complex yeah. than that. Hugely complex. But the, as you said, empathy, <clears throat> assuming we don't just replace one stereotype for another, yeah. but empathy, if it's a natural skill set, can be deployed very powerfully to make an impact. Mm. What else do you see going on there? We know it's not the single
1: ingredient. Mm-hmm. We know it's hugely helpful. But I think something that is all, that, that is equally important and almost counter again something that we've been looking at is you you um, you are asking about you can have to insert your question but you're asking about people leveraging relationships yes. in the world of work. It's a that to me is a really interesting thing. Yeah. Because we've just been talking about relationships and we know that empathy is a key skill, a key capability mm-hmm. for building those relationships. And we know that women tend to be very good at that and they see
0: themselves as being very good at that. We've spoken about this before, and many of the women I work with, when you know, wanting advancement and looking at, you know, what at their strategy for that, can over rely on their technical mastery or their technical expertise, working harder and harder at the day job and you know getting cleverer and cleverer. And sometimes seeing their colleagues who are working on different things, like visibility raising, networking, building relationships in different uh, in different respects, what's going on there? Do you think? I, I think that's hugely interesting, and I think, I think,
1: potentially, what's happening is I think women are very good at building relationships, but are far less strong at leveraging relationships, right. and so they use their skills to build those relationships out, and they see that as a positive thing, and that allows them to collaborate. Co create, to nurture, Mm -hmm. but leveraging relationships for some reason, and again, I see this in a lot of the women that we work with, they see leveraging relationships in some way as a negative. It's almost as if when they're saying, can you help me? Or I want to achieve this as so though they're using inverted mm, commas. It feels
0: transactional. It feels and, transactional.
1: Yeah. It feels as though now it's kind I'm not of tacky. Being, it's tacky. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, I'm seen as using you mm-hmm. as opposed to giving. Yeah. And I think that stops a lot of women leveraging those relationships. And I think that's a real problem for women because yeah. I think, uh, in the workplace, you need to be able to leverage relationships for professional development and advancement. That's mm. just a fact of life. Yes. So I think that's
0: a, a, a real issue for, for women. If the instinct is to say, my relationships have intrinsic value, and my going and you know, getting on the phone to someone and, and asking them for a favor, or asking for advice, what advice would you have for women about how to maybe reframe uh, how they leverage their relationships so it does not feel like you're acting outside of your integrity or not being authentic with people? I think you've
1: kind of said the word in your question. I think the key, Penny, is reframe. Mm. So we're really introducing a a psychological construct here. You know, we have mental schemas, we have frames in our mind, and those frames we then populate with definitions. And it's a shorthand way that allows us to operate and engage in our relationships and interact with our environment. And it's a very important skill mm-hmm. that I believe women need to deliberately redefine with that frame what leveraging relationships in the workplace means. Uh, yes. And the way that you do that is first of all, begin to understand well, how do I, with, some, with really some, some reflection, how do I see those relationships? Am I interested in building relationships? Or am I actually interested in also leveraging those relationships? And if you hear that inner dialogue that we all have mm. that starts to really that you hear in yourself the sorts of things we were just discussing, where you're saying to yourself, "Well, I don't want to be seen as using, and I don't want to be seen as this and that," then you know that you're that you really do need to do that reframing. Yes.
0: Yeah. Really interesting. Um, in terms of uh, women in leadership as well, Belinda. Um, you know, quite often we see that staying the technical expert can actually be quite a safe place to stay as well and to step into leadership capability or leadership role which might feel and look very different um, takes a certain level of courage and confidence what's your view of how you see women being able to step over that, leave behind some of the things, maybe the, the roles that they are already quite comfortable and confident in to step into a leadership role if that's what they choose to do.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think the good news
1: is I've seen many women make that leadership yep. transition. Uh, the, the key is to really understand what's what's stopping them, if indeed that's what they want to do, because there'll always be a degree of, um, of people in that technical expertise space that want to stay technical Absolutely. experts, yep. and, and that's, and that's um, to be applauded. However... For those that seek to rise up an organisation, I think it's it's imperative that they understand what's stopping them. And again, from, from my experience and from our both our, our practice and our research, um, we know that there are some really critical things going on around drive, resilience and confidence. Yes. Um, and so what we did, um, if I can just um, share some of the research we did. Mm. So with a very large corporate um, American-based organisation, we were given access to over 10,000 people right. um, globally. And what we were really interested in doing was understanding, first of all, what's going on for women versus men? Yes. Are their experiences the same as they transition through through leadership? And we looked at the different levels within the organisation. So we looked at the leading self, we looked at the supervisor level, we looked at leading teams, leading, um, leading leaders and then leading the business. So we were really interested in trying to Get to the nub of what are the different experiences that these populations are having, and then is there a difference in gender? Right. And as one is trying to progress up the organisation, and we were measuring the psychological capabilities of resilience, confidence, and drive. And, drive. Mm-hmm. and what we found was was remarkable. Um, first of all, we found that drive is not a significant discriminator mm-hmm. between men and women at any level. It just didn't differentiate in a statistically meaningful way. Right. So you were saying that they were as driven? They're as driven. As driven. They're okay. as driven. Mm-hmm. The next thing that we found was that when we actually looked overall at the, at the two populations looking at gender, then men came up significantly higher in confidence yes. than women. Right. Significantly. Significantly. Resilience it wasn't significantly different. Okay. So then what we wanted to do was we then stratified and we really wanted to look at what is happening at those different levels within the organization. And that was where it really started to get interesting. And what we found was that in the bottom tier, so that leading self, that technical expert, Mm -hmm. and at the top tier, so leading the business, leading leaders, there was no significant difference. And in places, women were higher in resilience. Okay, yep. But confidence is equivalent. Okay. What we found was at the supervisory and at the management level, there was disproportionately low levels of confidence. And the woman in women compared to the men. Exactly. And so we then looked at doing some qualitative research to really try and understand what was going on there. Oh. And it draws in something you were saying before. One of the key findings was that women... At some point in that journey, so they don't necessarily enter the organization without that confidence. Yes. But at some point, their what we call the confidence trajectory goes into a bit of a tailspin. Right. It goes. So they learn in, something. Something along happens the way that... in the environment where they start responding and throttling back differently. Their confidence, yeah. And that acts as a barrier. Mm-hmm. And that confidence, therefore, for me becomes the real focus yes how do we help women who want to progress learn how to truly value who they are mm-hmm. what they bring to back themselves because what a lot of women end up doing is playing it safe yes. one of the five key things we discovered was that women play it safe yeah we know they overthink we we know they mm-hmm. over criticize that's the perfection Yeah. You know, the little miss perfect mm-hmm. um you know there are cartoon characters out there about it yep they also play it safe yeah Yeah. they don't express opinions and they don't take as many calculated risks yeah but playing it safe it's a real career blocker
0: yeah very interesting so playing it safe we've talked um yeah interesting that drive and resilience didn't really feature in fact the women were in some respects more resilient did you find um that there was an age component uh Is it an evolutionary thing? Are younger women more confident than the men or is the gap still the same? We didn't find any statistical significance in any of those
1: variables. um, Age. What we did find, however, and and again it brings in the cultural element, in cultures where modesty um, is is more valued, Uh so particularly in some of the Asian countries, we found a significant difference there between men and women and particularly how they communicated right. and that again isn't surprising because there's a very strong yeah. reinforcement. Yeah,
0: absolutely. yeah. And when you did the qualitative work with some of uh, did you get a sense for what were the things, were there any themes about you know what arrested the trajectory of women, what sort of confidence lessons or what lessons they learned that might have throttled back their confidence, were there any headlines?
1: Yeah.
0: There, there were a number and, and I see them uh, I see them today uh,
1: yeah. uh, as as well, uh, and i 'm sure you do you know in the workplace, so um, very strongly where where women really choke themselves is for some reason, they stop singing their achievements right they start holding back so that 's that real they, they stop sharing what they 've done, and the language becomes very much around we mm-hmm. not I. Now using assertive language is is again an an important part of business life mm. because if you if you're using we language all the time it can begin to diminish your achievements as an individual as mm. an individual mm. and whilst it's important that you acknowledge what the team has done it's also very important that you're clear and that you share how you've supported the achievements of the team mm. and so and it's difficult because there's a, there's a bit of a, um, a kind of a, 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 a revolving door here because I think Cheryl Sandberg and, and Adam Grant, they, in, in their writings in the New York Times, they found that um, if you, you know, women that tend to communicate using that more assertive language, the I, mm-hmm. tend to be seen as more aggressive. Yeah. But they equally reported that women who don't assert themselves in the workplace are also seen as being less influential yes. and to be ignored. So,
0: so that's a problem, because Both those things mean... So it takes some skill, doesn't it? Because there is that classic double bind. Yes. Uh, And, you know, we know a lot of women use more communal language because it's more acceptable in terms of the gender role that comes with them. But then in the organisation, there's a whole organisational role where you have to look more masculine in your demeanour and more individualistic. So it's, you know, it is an interesting trajectory to navigate for women. But I love your sort of three M's. Again, what am I paying attention to? Am I really conscious of what that voice is on my shoulder, what it's telling me, and can I find a way to navigate through that? And I think, um, Penny, what what we're not good at as human beings is
1: that very conscious um, attending to oneself. Yes. We, from a very early age, we learn uh, habitual Mm behaviours. And... We really, you know, a lot of our conversation has been about how we learn to respond to our environment. Yes. Uh, And then that collection of behaviors becomes habits. Mm. And those habits, which are things like diminishing my uh, my achievements, perfectionism, Mm -hmm. always striving for what is achievable for a tiny percent of the time, expecting that to be all of the time. All of those habits, which are ways of responding. Are uh, potential barriers to us achieving mm. our full potential, and therefore, uh, one of the great things that I think women need to be conscious of in terms of developing their confidence is to think about what are the habits that hold them back. Mm. And if you think about those three M's, you know, am I being mindful? What mm. is my you know What is my mantra? What is my mindset? Do I have a mindset mm. uh, of a leader? What does that look like? Mm. Do I define that in a conscious, deliberate way, or am I just doing the same thing that got me to here? And as you know, yes, as, as, as Marshall Goldsmith yeah, said, it you ain't know, ain't going to get you there. It ain't <laughs> going to get you there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we need to be very deliberate in understanding what are the things at these touch points mm-hmm. that I need to let go of, mm-hmm. and that I now need to start valuing, and they're different. Yes. Because as a leader, I can't just be the technical expert. I can't play it safe mm-hmm. and just deliver that. That's not enough. It's a whole new That's capability not going to, allow me I to need progress. To build. Absolutely. Mm. That's
0: fascinating. <clears throat> <coughs> um, Belinda, I was going to ask you, if, if technical expert is your career choice, and as you said, there's many people out there for whom, you know, and organisations, depend on them, want to build a, a powerful career as a technical expert, how might women approach advancement if that's important to them, knowing that actually their technical expertise is what they want to sit with?
1: So I think, again, being a technical expert, um, there's still a hierarchy. When you think mm. about it, um, pick any pick any profession where there is technical excellence. Mm. Um, there is still a hierarchy where you end up being a leader of those technical experts. So, yes, you still do need um, the technical knowledge and you need to stay abreast of that. Yes. And that's important. But if Penny, what you're saying is that you want to stay at the same level within an organization, then that's one thing. But if you want to stay in your technical expertise but progress, but, but progress yeah then much of what we've talked about is relevant because Mm -hmm. you may not want to go more broad into the general managerial, but you will still be leading people, Mm. which means you still want to be listened to, you still need to influence, Mm. you still need to be able to build those relationships, you still need to be able to leverage those relationships, Mm -hmm. all of which means you need to be clear about what are your achievements, how you express them, Mm -hmm. you need to be clear about Am I being perfectionistic here? All of the things that we've been touching on that we know can, are, are kind of those common mental habits yes. that many women fall into the trap of. Yes. Okay.
0: Fantastic. Um, Belinda, what advice would you have for women who are thinking about building their leadership capability in general? You have given us, you know, your three M's. Are there things that we haven't touched on yet that you would encourage women to consider when looking at building their leadership muscle?
1: Yes, I I think there are uh, a number. So in no particular order, I think the first thing is um, I I have a really simple model, which is create the mindset, develop the skills, the behaviours, and master the tools. And if you think about all the things that we've been talking about, they plug into one of those... Three. Yes. And women to progress, I think, first of all, need great clarity in what their mindset is. Where are they holding themselves back? Mm-hmm. And in order to answer that question, some simple introspection might give them the insight. Yeah. They can talk to peers. Mm hmm. They can get feedback from colleagues, mm-hmm. line managers. But there needs to be that aha moment and there needs to be that real commitment to change. Yes. And with that, then there's the shaping of that mindset. What do you want to be known for? Mm. In a very deliberate way. And as I said, my mindset, my, ch- my choice has always been growth and opportunity, mm. both in myself and engendering it in others. And if that becomes your vision, if that's your strategic alternative reality, then everything that you do hooks off that. Yeah. And it guides who you are and yeah. the behaviors you develop. Yeah, I think mentoring is a wonderful right. program in organizations uh, We work with a number of organizations who have started making it essential It is mandatory that male leaders of a certain level and above must mentor females. hmm It's wonderful um, And what do women get from their mentoring relationships that you observe? So it's interesting. So my um my counsel to the men, because many men going into these schemes are being quite nervous. Mm. It's interesting because a lot of male leaders say, well, that's great, I'm happy to, 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 to join in, but I have no idea how I can help because yes. I'm, I'm really not sure what I've done to get here. You know, so yeah. They're not sure. Um, and so I like to think of it in terms of capabilities. If all you're doing is looking at somebody and trying to role model them, you're going to lose potentially the authenticity that you mm-hmm. spoke of earlier. What I think is really key is look at those capabilities. If we go back to that ability to build relationships versus leverage, yes. look at the skills, look at the capabilities that you're wanting to develop and look at how others are doing it, as opposed to just looking at the whole person. Does yep. does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Um so I think that's a I think that's a really powerful way. I think having organizations open to sponsoring learning, development, yep. you know, the, the your know, coaching. And I'd also say checking that you've got that open mindset, um, which, of course, Carol Dweck's done a lot of work on and I think is is, is brilliant work. I'd also say I have a really simple rule. It's two words. Flip it. If you hear yourself with your inner dialogue and you know it is your habitual way of thinking and Mm -hmm. it is holding you back, flip it. Be brave and flip it. Do the opposite and surround yourself with people who are different. Yeah, that think differently.
0: Yep, and expose yourself to that. Fantastic. Um, so, Belinda, anything else that you would like to uh, to let women leaders or anyone who's listening to this um, know about how they might be able to either fuel their confidence, um, harness their ambition, uh, and you've talked a lot about uh, you know mindset how to change that and of course even flipping it takes confidence because suddenly you're out of your natural autopilot mode any final bit of advice or information you'd like to give people listening yeah thank you penny um
1: i you know uh, i think it was um sam walsh the ex ceo of rio tinto who said look all we need to do is just be more confident so it wouldn't be great yeah. if it was that. If it was if that easy. If we had that magic wand, yeah. Absolutely, I do think at the very heart of all of this is the mindset mm-hmm. and the beliefs that sit within that, and how we recognise what our bad habits are. Yes. And and create good habits. You know, having a bad habit doesn't mean that there's some deep psychological issue. Yes. Um, that a person has it doesn't mean some deep inadequacy. Mm. It means that. From early socialization, typically mm-hmm. from when we're children, yep. through into adult life, we've learned a particular way of responding. And as a community, we're becoming more aware of that. Yes, We have a long way to go mm-hmm. with stereotypes, with gender types. Mm. We have a long way to go, but we're making progress. So I would applaud all women who seek to rise through organizational ranks to think about... What are the habits, the mental habits they have that are helping them?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But what are the ones that, that are holding are not them? Serving them? Absolutely. Well. Yep. And I would go back to where we started, um, and I said that every day, in every moment, we have choice. We have choice to flip it or not. And and I want to quote Carl Jung, mm-hmm. that well-known psychologist, who said, "I am not what has happened to me. I am what I choose to become." Mm-hmm. And I think that's not a
0: bad mantra to live by. Wonderful. Belinda, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Dr. Belinda Board.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. Join me for our next conversation coming soon, available on SoundCloud and iTunes. And stay in touch, penny at pennydevolk.com.